Good morning, church. Welcome to the Sunday morning service of Every Nation Reimsuch. My name is Carol Gosman. My husband is Andrew Gosman, and we are the senior pastors of this great, glorious, life-giving church. Today we are starting a new series. It's called The Art of Rest. Why I wanted to do this series, we're going to spend two weeks on it, and then we've got a great surprise for you, something absolutely fantastic happening in three weeks' time. But right now I felt like in light of all the busyness of lockdown, being at home, working from home, now some children back at school, some not back at school, just the mixture of at home, but still so much work going on, having to care for children, and just the various things that are going on have left many people much busier than they were before. And I felt like God wanted to speak into our hearts about the truth of his rest that he is inviting all of us into. As we begin, I want to define maybe rest as opposed to idleness. Biblical rest is not necessarily doing nothing. Biblical rest is about worship and obedience. Idleness, or sometimes we would even call it laziness, is more about seeking your own comfort, seeking your own comfortableness, should I say, at the expense of God's mission. And, and God's very much against that idleness, but at the same time, he's very much for rest. And God wants to bring us all into the beauty of the rest that is part of the message of the gospel. And so we're going to be talking about that for two weeks. Father, I pray as, as, that as we speak about this, you would, you would infuse our hearts with the truth of your gospel as it pertains to work and rest, Lord God. I pray, Lord, that everyone watching this would have an encounter with you, Lord God. They would move on with you. They would, they would take their next steps in their relationship with you. They would find more of you in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So, what is rest? Well, biblical rest. Biblical rest is not necessarily doing nothing. It's more about living without anxiety. It's about trusting God above your own efforts. It's about celebrating his goodness. Biblical rest is countercultural. What do I mean by that? John 10 verse 10 says that the thief, the, de the devil, the enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy. But Jesus Christ comes that you might have life and life in abundance. There is a way that the enemy, the world, tries to steal from you through busyness, through overexertion, through worry and anxiety. And there's a way that we are called as Christians to go countercultural to that, to walk against the direction of the world, against the tide of the enemy, and to live in a place of peace and security in our relationship with God that the Bible calls rest. Rest, biblical rest also comes from a Jesus-given identity. Deuteronomy 5 verse 15 says this, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Can you see how in this portion of scripture, God marries the idea of rest and a Sabbath with the idea of their identity? All of us, every single Christian, we have been grafted into the identity of Israel. The history of Israel indeed is our history. And as that nation stood uh, at, at this time with hearing this from the Lord and was hearing that 
that what God had done in the past, the identity of who they were, that they were a people chosen, brought out of Egypt, rescued, set on a path towards the promised land. That identity of being God's people, a rescued and redeemed people, meant that in that, as that kind of people, they were also a people of rest, and that they were, in light of that, to observe the Sabbath. So with us, we are people drawn out of the world, rescued from sin, injustice, slavery, hardship. We are rescued from the, the, the slavery of ourselves and we are brought into the glorious riches of Christ Jesus. That is our identity. And as we do, we are brought into that rest. Our identity linked to the very core of our being is the idea of rest in Jesus Christ. It's part of our identity as followers of Jesus Christ. Also, rest is an act of worship. Isaiah 66 verse 23 links worship to the Sabbath or to rest. And throughout the Bible, this is true, that, that these two concepts are always linked. That one of the ways we worship God is living from a place of rest, where worry and anxiety are not driving us, but faith and trust in Him are driving us. Let's look at these concepts in a little bit more detail or look at the overall concept of rest in a little more detail. I want to take some time and talk through, through, sorry, talk through four ideas of rest. I'm going to use the word rest so you'll remember them. R-E-S-T, R for redeem your time, E for eliminate hurry, S for slow down for connection, and T for trust in Jesus. We're looking at how to create rhythms of rest, biblical rest, what it means to be a people who are identified by the rest of Jesus Christ. So let's start with R, redeem your time. Really, when we're looking at redeeming our time, this is a lordship issue. This is not just a time management issue. This is about the lordship of Jesus Christ. That, this is about having him as supreme over everything, even our time. How you use your time tells the world who your master is. How you use your time tells the world who your master is. As Jesus' followers, our time is subordinated to his desires, to his kingdom, to his will, to his love. And because he's such a good God, that always benefits us. Ephesians 5 says this, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. In other words, as we walk wisely with Jesus, as we listen to what he says, as we, as we put our lives in obedience to him, what happens is the time comes back to us. It is redeemed. It is won back from the foolishness of our previous ways of living. Jesus bought you and me at the cost of his earthly life. A high price was paid for you and me. That means that really our time does not belong to us. We may, we may think that we, we can do with our time as we please, but really as followers of Jesus Christ, our time along with our entire lives were bought by him at the cross. What does that mean? It means that your time, believe it or not, does not belong to your boss. Believe it or not, it does not belong to your children's school. How many parents know how much time a child's school takes up, creeps into family time? Your time, believe it or not, does not even belong to your spouse. Your time belongs to Jesus Christ. 
How you use your time tells the world who your master is. When you say no to that cricket game, that school cricket game on a Sunday, so that you can go to church, you're immediately telling your children that Jesus Christ is more important than sport. You're putting things in perspective. It's not that sport isn't great and fantastic and lovely, but you, it's just not more important than Jesus Christ. When you say no to that overtime in order to spend time with your family, what are you speaking to your family, to the world around you, even to your boss? Is that that my life is subservient to the values of the kingdom, not to the values of the corporation. What are you doing? You're speaking back to the world the values of Jesus Christ. You're telling yourself and your family that, that your family is more important to you than your career. You are placing things, the values, in the correct position under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So we redeem our time, which is a function of the Lordship of Jesus Christ over our time. The next thing we do in order to step into a lifestyle of rest is that we eliminate hurry. Now, if the previous point was a Lordship issue, this is a discipleship issue. We eliminate hurry. Jesus never hurried. Therefore, those who follow him cannot move faster than he does. If Jesus doesn't hurry, then we don't hurry. Two stories that thrill me. The first one is found in Luke 8 and it's also found in Luke, sorry, in Mark 5. And it's the story of Jesus on his way to Jairus' house to heal Jairus' daughter who was very sick. You would think this is an urgent, urgent assignment and that Jesus would push through the crowds and rush over to do the deed to raise up this little girl. But he doesn't. He walks at a very measured pace through the crowds and it says there's a woman who has an issue of blood who's been in this very difficult situation, the situation where she was shunned from society. It's not just that she had a physical impairment but she had a, a relational problem that was isolating her from love. And she reaches out to Jesus while he's pushing through the crowd, walking through the crowd. And as she touches the hem of his garment, she is healed. And Jesus stops and said, who touched me? And then he has this whole interchange with his disciples that's beautiful and lovely and really honors the faith of this woman. However, my point is more around the fact that Jesus could have felt the power leave him, could have known that someone was healed, but just carried right on with this very urgent assignment. He didn't. He stopped. Why? Because the interruption was part of the assignment that, that Jesus, Jesus wasn't living a hurried life. He was living a measured life so that he could hear the interruptions of heaven. He could hear the interruptions of the spirit. He could, he could feel the pain of a woman who'd been isolated from society for 12 years. He could he could reach out to her and say, you matter, you matter. He eliminated hurry so that he could follow the leading of the Spirit. The other story I want to highlight to you was, is found in Luke 24, starting from verse 32. And it's really about two disciples and they are, are walking between two towns. Jesus has died and People are wondering what on earth is going on. And Jesus comes alongside of them and doesn't make himself known. They don't recognize him. And he just begins to walk with them between these two towns. 
and open up scripture to them and just talk about the things that had happened from a biblical perspective. It's clear from the story that these two disciples were confused about Jesus' death. They, they had thought that, that he was going to do this fantastic stuff in Israel and now he'd been crucified and there'd been stories of him rising from the dead, but they weren't sure. They were just very, very confused. And Jesus, you know, one of the, one of the disciples is named, the other one isn't even named. It's like they were just two ordinary people. And Jesus stepped out of out of his kind of, out of his job, out of what he was doing, he didn't really step out of his job because this was part of his job, but he, he stepped out of what we would imagine were the important things of the day to find these two disciples, to come alongside of them, and he took pains to just walk at their measured pace and expound scripture to them. What I love about this is seeing Jesus' unhurried lifestyle. It says, once Jesus had revealed himself to them, it says, they said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? I think that's what Jesus was after. He was after their burning hearts. And so much of the spirit of God's work in our life is to come alongside of us and and to turn our questions and our difficulties into a burning heart of passion for him. To unlock the questions, to open our hearts, and to give us truth in such a way that our hearts are set alight with a passion for him. He could only do this because he was prepared to be interrupted. He was prepared to walk at the measured pace of human beings as they traveled in an unhurried way between two towns. So with us, when we when we eliminate hurry from our lives, we see the people around us. We are able to interact with them in the way, in a way that allows them to experience and know Jesus. It allows us to interact with the Holy Spirit and work with him in a way that, that, that gives us opportunities to share his love in people's lives and even to be loved ourselves. John Ortberg says this. He says that hurry kills love. Therefore, it is the great enemy of the spiritual life. We must do battle with hurry. Hurry produces superficiality in relationships and superficiality in relationships means we're not living our full purpose. The kingdom of God is all about relationship. Hurry kills relationships. Hurry kills love. In order to love and be loved, we must kill hurry. We must kill hurry. In order to live a life of rest in Jesus Christ, we must kill love. Ah, sorry, excuse me. We must kill hurry in order to experience love and to give love. The next one, S, is to slow down for connection. This is also a love issue. To eliminate hurry was a love issue. Remember, the, fir the first one was a lordship issue, the second one was a discipleship issue, and this is now a love issue. As we have eliminated hurry, we must put something in, his, in its place, and that something is connection with God and connection with others. A man by the name of Lewis Grant, he coined this phrase, sunset fatigue. 
You've all felt it. It's the five o'clock rush, the six o'clock rush. You've just home from the office. The family's needing you. You're overwhelmed. And all you want to do is sit down on the couch and vegetate for, I don't know, the rest of the evening. Sunset fatigue. And in, in discussing this, he talks about how, how we expend ourselves with so many things so that when the time comes for us to give time to the people who are most important to us, we don't have the energy. And he talks about slowing down the pace of life so that you have time for the people who are most important to you. Eugene Peterson also, he prays this beautiful prayer in one of his books, about connection with God and he says this, eternal God, I thank you for getting underneath the surface clamor and frenzy of my life and creating a reality in me that is impervious to oppression, springing up in hope and praising your great name in Jesus Christ. It's like we need to slow down to get that connection with God that he can, he can come underneath the surface clamor, that he can climb underneath the busyness and he can get our attention and that he can minister to us so that we can minister to others, so that we can find the life-giving connection with the people we love and because of the life-giving connection with the God that we serve. Mark 1 and Mark 6, 6 talk about Jesus and how it was his habit to withdraw from the public eye and to go to lonely or solitary places to spend time with his heavenly father. It's true that before he chose his disciples, he went away and it says he spent all night up on a mountain by himself. In other words, when he had to make important decisions, when he was weary, when he just needed a recharge, Jesus Christ stepped away from the busyness of life. He slowed down for connection with his father. Jesus, in fact, said this to his disciples after a very busy time. Mark 6 verse 31, he said, Because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves for, to a quiet place and get some rest. Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. In the busyness of all they were doing, the good busyness of healing people, speaking to people, loving people, he said, even this good work that you are doing requires you to slow down for connection with your, your heavenly father, with God, with me, with one another. Jesus Christ in order to bring us into a place of rest, is asking us to slow down for connection. What is the biblical pattern of the slowing down for connection? The first part is that we need to have a daily time of devotion with Jesus, a time where, where there are no interruptions, where we are spending time with Jesus. I don't even want to tell you how long that needs to be. I want you to fit that into your lifestyle. But I do want to say every person needs a daily time when it's just you and God and he is ministering to you. You are learning about him. You are praying. You are telling him your heart. You are reading your Bibles. You're learning and you're growing in your relationship with him. Everyone needs a weekly Sabbath, 
a weekly Sabbath in which there is public worship and there is connection with kingdom relationships. In other words, we need a Sabbath that is filled with church, that is filled with the people of God, that has the fellowship and the love and the connectivity of us all being together in God's presence and worshiping him together and ministering to each other. So we need that on a weekly basis. And we also then need periodic times of, of solitude and family celebration. What do I mean by this? It is seen in the feasts of the Old Testament, but they, there were times where it was prescribed to them that they were to leave the busyness of their life, to dedicate that time to celebrating within their families, celebrating with the community of God, and drawing away from busyness. We all need times of solitude, personal solitude, but we also need times of family or intimate relationship celebration. You were made for relationships and relationships take unhurried time. You were made for relationship and relationship, relationships, should I say, take unhurried time. The last one is that we are to trust in Jesus. And this in itself is a faith issue. The Bible, when it talks about trust or faith, often uses these words waiting on God or remaining in Christ or abiding in Christ. So it's kind of waiting and abiding. And when we trust in Jesus, it's, a, it's about turning our expectations for success to him instead of our own efforts. Now you're going to work, you're going to do a lot of great things. Part of following Jesus is that he gives you a calling, that he gives you something fantastic to do. You are going to go and do that and it's going to involve work, but you're going to work from a place of rest. What does that mean? The success of your endeavors is not determined by the, the, the worry and the anxiety that you put into it. It is determined by the faith that you give towards him. It is determined by the obedience with which you follow him. Romans 4, sorry, not Romans, Hebrews 4, 1, 2, 3, and 11 says this, therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. In other words, faith is meant to lead us into a place of rest. Faith causes us, when we believe God, when we believe in his goodness, when we trust him, of course we're going to obey him and that is going to lead us into a place of rest. But people who are skeptical of God's goodness in their life, are skeptical of whether he actually is going to bless them, find it hard to rest in his provision, to rest in what he is doing in their lives. And they are filled with a constant anxiety of, I better, I better make it work, I better, I better watch Watch out what's happening. I better preserve myself. I better make a way for myself. God is inviting us into a different kind of lifestyle. He's inviting us into a lifestyle where our success is not dependent on our wisdom. It's not dependent on how, how much we know. It's not dependent on our skill set. It's not dependent on our beauty or our strength. It is dependent on our faith 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith that leads to obedience that brings us into rest. Isaiah 40 tells us that when we wait on God, we rise on wings as eagles. To wait on God means simply, biblically speaking, that word to wait on God means that as, as someone who is making a rope, it's literally a rope maker's term, is that when you're making a rope, you take three separate strands mostly and you twist them but then you twist them together to make this very thick rope and waiting that was called they kind of those those strands were waiting on each other and God when he talks to us and says to wait on him he is he's saying that be like those ropes wind yourself in it inseparably into the rope of his presence Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, wind yourself into his presence so that all together you form this rope that cannot be broken. Wait on him in such a way and you will rise on wings as eagles. You will run and not grow weary. You will walk and not faint, says Isaiah 40. Also, John 10 and Romans 11 talk about how Jesus is the vine. Romans 11 talks about an olive tree but in Romans and John 10 it's talking about a vine and how we are the branches and it says those who remain in him the branch that remains in him bears much fruit it's letting us know that our job in bearing fruit in becoming productive in life in doing significant things in life is not dependent on anything other than us being grafted in being set in to his vine, where his life flows from him through the trunk up into the branch and the branch automatically bears fruit, not by virtue of trying to bear fruit, but by virtue of being in the vine, remaining in the vine. In God's household, no child ever wakes up wondering if they will have food or clothing. In God's household, no child wakes up thinking, Am I significant? Am I worth something? In God's household, we are born into a place of provision. We are born into a place of his protection. We are born into a place of him defining us. And in that place, we can trust that he will do his part. The greatest effort we exert in life should be to remain united to him in faith. In conclusion, rest redeem your time are oh, redeem your time that is a lordship issue how you use your time tells the world who your master is e eliminate hurry which is a, is a discipleship issue hurry kills love in order to love and be loved we must kill hurry next s slow down for connection which is a love issue you were made for relationships and relationships take unhurried time. T, trust in Jesus. The greatest effort we exert in life should be to remain united to him in faith. Trust in Jesus. It's a faith issue. God bless you. Lord, I pray for every person that your love would lead them to live this life from a place of rest, that rest would be their portion, Lord God, that they would work from a place of no anxiety, they would work from a place of rest in you, and that they rest and that they work, sorry, would be fruitful because they are abiding in you. 
God bless you. Those of you who are members of this church, don't forget to hang on. After worship, we are going to be doing our AGM. Andrew's going to be filling you in on where we are as a church, what God has done this year, and just giving you the details of how your finances have been used throughout the year. God bless you. We love you. We'll see you soon.